Welcome back, listeners. Uh, this week, I'm joined by an absolutely incredible guest who has been described as a CISO, a hacker, an infosec, safety stuff, cyber researcher, plane hacker, cow hacker, and all sorts of names on the technical side of the word world. I think my favorite is he's a Scottish cybersecurity warlock. So, Chris Roberts, welcome to the Adventures of Alice in Bob podcast. Uh, I want to really kick things off with a fun question. Uh, if you could describe yourself and, and your career using a movie title or a movie theme, what would it be and why? Oh, good. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, um, <laughs> it's probably a Bruce Willis one. I mean, let's face it. He bundles through life, gets shot, gets blown up. Shit happens to him. Touch wood. In the end, he manages to get through it most of the time. Um, and, and in real life, he seems to be a pretty civilized individual. Famous last words, those will come back and bite me in the ass at some point. Yeah. But he <laughs> seems to be a pretty civilized individual. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I've, I can relate very much to, to, you know, the first one of the diehards and the, probably most of them actually. They get a little bit more ridiculous. Kind of like the Fast and Furious, you know, the first one or two of those were pretty good. After that, all reality just 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 went out for a long walk off a short cliff. Let's face it. I think my favorite Die Hard, like the the extreme it got to, was one of the films where they shoot a helicopter with a car. I thought, yeah, do you know what? We're we're onto something here. This is this is a franchise that's going to stay. <laughs> Which was the other one? The, the the where the hell did he? jump onto the back of like i want to say it was like an f-35 or something like that it's like from a crumbling crumbling row and he jumps on the back of this f-30 and i'm like yeah same thing like belief has now been suspended game over have a nice day um but yeah it makes for good escapism for now so i'm not going to complain too much it's gonna be a diehard film so we'll add to CISO, hacker infosec safety cyber researcher plane hacker scottish security warlock to now I'm Bruce Willis of cyber. I, I quite like that. <laughs> Yippee ki <-yay. laughs> I got that. Although my beard's a little bit longer than his. His is like, his is um, Hollywood sensible scruffy. Mine is just out of control, you know, Highlands, whatever the hell happened to it. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I have a similar beard and it's amplified today by the uh, mint green onto the wooden background of my door. So I look very ginger today, which is quite funny as well. My, my white balance is all out on my camera. It's, it's great. So... I'll stick with the ginger beard of cyber and we'll uh, that works. from there. That totally works. So through all the chaos, um, when was the moment you realized you were in cybersecurity? Probably when we were inventing this shit as we were making it up, let's face it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably when I came, so before I went into the military, we were doing like the early days of IT and networking and stuff like that. I mean, it was screwdriver on one hand, literally floppy disk in the other hand, along with, you know, installing dip switches and stuff on network cards. So, and that was in the days of, you know, moving from four to 16 megabits token ring and, and all that other kind of shenanigans. And then we all, you know, this weird thing called ethernet came along and screwed everybody up. Um, <laughs> That was like early IT days. Uh, and that was also behind the scenes. It was a little bit, quite a lot of, should we say, uh, dial-up warfare and some interesting fun stuff with uh, CDC back over in the UK. And then went into the military, jumped out of airplanes for a living, came out of that late 90s active, and then went into reserves and did other things. And probably started off, going from like just traditional IT more into the security space, probably at that point in time, uh, because I'd gotten yelled at a few times for, for doing things I probably shouldn't have done. Um, they kind of threw me into the right, well, now you can legitimately go do things you shouldn't have done. You can do them for us and we need to know the results. So that was that. And then, you know, that, that was probably late, mid, late nineties, late nineties. Because I came out of active one into reserves towards the end of '90s, so about then, and then I got sent over to the US in '98. So, and then it was really all security from there. What what sort of um what sort of roles did you kind of pick up along the way? So I've seen you've had quite a varied history, looking at your bio and working through all sorts. I mean, both inside the cat. So I've been for good or for bad. I've. I've sat on both sides of the fence. I've sat on both the corporate side of the fence. I've also sat mm -hmm. on the vendor side of the fence. 
So when I lay into vendors and sales and marketing and BDR and stuff like that, I'm not doing it from a position of, you know, sitting on my high horse, have no clue how it all, no, this, I've had to do that shit. And I've had to do it for companies. I've also had to build my own companies. Mm. Um, some successfully, some, you know, they'll write books about how to crater it and I'll get mentioned in it. Um, but it's always been, you know, from that side of it, it's always been the ability to actually go out and talk to people. So it's it's been everything. It's been from sitting down and and taking the genesis of an idea and building a company around it to working inside an organization, you know, deception technology, intelligence organizations, and various other ones and going, okay, how do we do this more efficiently? How do we do it more effectively? All the way through to walking into the burning building and going, all right, sit down, shut up, let's get this shit sorted out six 12 18 months later handing the keys over and they're going don't get up again you know so and now actually back to that seashell role inside an organization doing somewhat the similar thing so to your point i mean i've, I've done everything from hands-on keyboards coding stuff through to strategic sitting down in front of boards which is what i'm doing as well now having to explain the what's why's and wherefores and educate them in a way that they understand it and know it and learn and all those other kind of things one of the things I was going to ask you about seemed like a bit of a, a big red blinking light, like I have to ask the question about this. Working with DARPA and nano and biotechnology, so a full-on brain scientist and doing like nanobots to engineer us or? <laughs> Fun. Oh, my gosh. So this was, gosh, when we start doing this, five, six, seven-ish years ago, maybe a little bit more than that, five, six, seven years ago. Um, obviously, breaking into shit's easy. I mean, let's face it, otherwise people wouldn't be making billions of dollars on the side doing it. But that's technology. You take it the next step evolution, then you start looking at the humans. Now you also start looking at uh, biotechnology and nanotechnology and stuff that's working in the healthcare medical field. And all of a sudden, you you start to look at this whole convergence idea. You start to look at the you start to look at okay, how do I influence a human? Well, at the moment, I influence them through news, media, social, their systems, their architecture, all the other stuff that's around them. Then you take a step back and go, well, let's step forward five, ten, fifteen years. How do I influence a human then? And you start going, well, we're converging the human and the and the technology to such a degree that we're putting biotech and nanotech in. Why why can't I influence them that way as well? So uh, there was a project inside DARPA that was actually a very, very different focus. Uh, so when you put folks out in theater, uh, you're obviously asking a lot of them. You're asking them to be very situationally aware, very tactically aware, and then very strategic, which if you're under fire, is <laughs> a rough thing to do. First and foremost, it's uh, how do I not get my ass shot? Secondly, it's who the hell's shooting at me? Thirdly, how do I actually make sure that doesn't continue? And you're not thinking at a strategic level to go, oh, there's a computer sitting in the corner or there's these other things going on. Now, from a, a theater management standpoint, I also need to know that information because I need other other factors that maybe are not inside that particular room or that building or that house or that location to know what's going on. Asking the operators to be able to do that is a rough thing. So what we started looking at doing is how can we take out secondary and and in your, your, your subliminal thoughts, how can we take some of that out without asking people? Plus also the other thing is as well, if somebody's going into a situation, how do we not have to send them back in again a second or a third or a fourth time to go collect more data or do anything else? In other words, how do we send them in once, put their asses in harm's way only once, not put more of our folks, any pick your country. I mean, US obviously where I'm based but take anybody who's an operator into a situation. How do we not have to send them in two or three times to get more and more information or in data and intelligence? So now you start taking a look at what the brain's doing versus what you're able to articulate. And you're like, well, I can pull more signals out of the brain. Um, and so we started looking really, really heavily at what can we pull out of the brain that maybe the operators aren't able to tell us. So we started looking at tactical analysis, situation analysis, and all sorts of, basically we started reading the brain. And it was, oh, yeah, some fantastic stuff we're messing around with. But there's there's a limit as to how much you can take out without drilling in. Little Elon and his little freaking, you know, his, his little burrow into the brain shit is not something you want to do. So we looked at basically using literally sets of tactical glasses with sensors on them and all sorts of other things to go, okay, how much, what can we pull out signal-wise and how close can we get? 
the brain's effing amazing, but unfortunately the signals are very, very low power, so they don't necessarily get out this far. You're like, well, we'll amplify them. Well, how do you do that? Well, you start looking at the nanotechnology and you start looking at the attunement antennas and things you can build with nanobots. And we were looking at this because the healthcare industry is obviously doing the best it can rather than irradiate a freaking body. It's, it's let's just try and actually hit the individual cells. So they're building some amazing tech which you can inject in to go after single cell systems. So you can go after Alzheimer's, cancers, and all sorts of other shit. So we're like, okay, can we use that to get where we need to? Can we do this? And, and that's great. But then we're like, well, shit, we can hack this stuff. Uh, and, and bless that little con sucks. The healthcare world is all about saving people. And let's face it, most of us are like, oh, how can I kill somebody? And we unfortunately figured out very quickly that we could actually reprogram these bloody things to do what we wanted them to do. In other words, instead of them going after cancer cells, we got them to go after red blood cells, which is a bad thing. Killing red blood cells in the body, not good. Doesn't do the body good or gets all messy. Yeah, unfortunately. So... We ended up doing this whole bunch of nanobiotech, but it was all to try to amplify signals out of the brain, but it ended up turning into these other kinds of tactical usage situations. Um, it was good. It was it was fun. It was something I would love to go back and do more of at some point when, when I've done building supersonic jets and all sorts of other stupid shit. Well, that, that was going to be kind of my, my next question to ask. So... Super supersonic jets at Boom Supersonic, and you're you're the chief security officer. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. It was for some ass about face reason, they 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 decided to bring me in. It was actually so. Charles Valentine is um is freaking amazing. I have a a ton of love for him. He's the C CIO CIO over there, and uh, he hit me up because I about a year and a half, two years ago, I got I I just gotten to the point where I'm just done dealing with my own company again. It's it's hard freaking work. And I, I was honestly done chasing clients for payments. And I'm like, I'm just done with this shit. I'm done writing reports. I'm done telling the same people the same shit time and time again. I need a break from this. So I put a post out on LinkedIn, said I'm coming back into the industry. What the hell's out there? And I was very, very, very fortunate. Again, back to this imposter syndrome. I got I got some really nice I had some very nice conversations with some very well known folks. Mm. Charles hit me up. He's like, hey, you want to have a conversation? I'm like, yeah, come over to the house. So we sat down and he's like, how do you fancy securing the next generation of, of jets? I'm like, I get to play with supersonic long darts. And he's like, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm like, fuck yes. So went through the official process, uh, still had to go through the full interview process and um, got to meet some really interesting people. Some of them were absolutely fantastic. Some of them are now, you know, work colleagues were crying out loud. And uh my final interview was um, with a, an amazing lady called Kathy Savitt, and she's one of the, I mean, she's like 2IC uh, at Boom. Her and Blake are like left and right hand of, of the same of the same voice, which is actually fantastic. Kathy comes from the industry, knew my history, knew what I'd done to airplanes in the past. But what I loved <laughs> about the conversation was it, was it was really nothing to do with that. And it was more a case of like, how can we take some of the stuff you want to do and be the leaders in the industry. And, and that for me was a fantastic thing. It wasn't just, hey, how do we build something? How do we do it right? How do we do it successfully? How do we do it leading the charge? How do we go to the established people and go, hey, love what you've built. Here's how we can do it better. Here's how we can do it more efficiently, more effectively. So that message was absolutely fantastic, resonated. And for some ask about face reason, they offered me a job. Now, I go to start the company, I go to start a boom, and unfortunately, some of the folks from my prior life, who uh, I might have annoyed once or twice in the aviation industry, uh, showed their displeasure to uh, to boom by registering a formal complaint and all that good, Selena. So, um, <laughs> good, I, I appreciate boom. They were like, yep, we brought him on board for all the reasons you didn't listen to him. So that was appreciated, and it's been good. It's been um, like any CISO job. It is, there's good days and then there's bad days. And there's days you're like, hey, this is really cool. And there's days that you bash your head and you're like, how do I affect change? How do we do this? How, how do I balance people and technology? How do I, how do I just, how do I get this to work? How do I make sure I'm not on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow? <laughs> and I, I was going to ask a bit more about that, actually. So in terms of where you spend the majority of your time, is it focused on, I'm concerned about 
more of the human element of cyber because that's you know always one of the the easiest links to exploit or do you spend a lot more time worried about just risk as a whole and reputational risk in the organization Re ironically reputational i tend not to think about as much i keep an eye on it mm -hmm. um, but for me at the moment it's it's i think it's overall probability and risk conversations i mean we are I always remember standing on stage describing this, which is, you know, when you're building an airplane, it's it's a Lego model. You are bringing in thousands of different vendors and partners, suppliers, and everybody else with this common vision to put all of their bits together to build you your airplane. And that's now living and breathing that all of the vendor risk management, the third party, the supply chain stuff, all of the conversations about our intellectual property sending out to people. Because of what we're doing, we are... Boom is basically the first commercial, and somebody can fact check this one, but I'm pretty darn sure if I get it right, the first commercial company that's not properly government funded or run inside the government that's building a supersonic jet. And so we're having to take what's really restricted, confidential, classified information and work shit out for ourselves. Like, hey, how do you build a supersonic jet? Well, that's classified. You have to find it out. I'm like, holy shit. So we're basically... <laughs> in the commercial world, building what everybody else has got hidden behind these, you know, restricted doors. That in itself obviously gets governments and people nervous. So we have to be very good at how we protect the data that we're building. But we've also got to share it to all those Lego makers to make sure that they their little bit of the widget actually helps make this bloody thing go supersonic. So it's a balance. It's a balance between that and the human aspect of it and going, how do I get better visibility? How do we get better eyes? How do we have, how do we know what we don't know? You know, it's mm. a voyage of discovery. You know, we see something on an alert and it's like, well, where's that from? Well, then go figure this shit out. Or we don't have this on alert, right? Grab this in. And you can't do all of that on your own. It's why you look at partners and why you look at vendors and supply chain on our side of the fence and go, who do I trust to work with? Who who is going to be there as a partner walking next to me? You know, the 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 podcast uh, Danny and I do. It's why I, I I reference Maria more often than not because you can't do this shit on your own. It's it's got to be part of a it's got to be part of a team. Mm. And I was going to ask as well with the I guess incredibly regulated industry that is aviation. Have you found there's sort of a any, any sort of disconnect between what the regulation needs versus what makes practical security sense that's pragmatic? Yeah, in other words, red tape versus reality. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Although, again, back to the nice thing about it is having Kathy at the helm for some of this and having the organization listen has been fantastic because, you know, to your point, regulation says this, but reality is somewhere very different. Mm. The nice thing about it is if I can explain what we need to do in a way that those team on the business and the folks that are facing the legal, the lawyer, the FAA and everybody else, if I can explain it to them in a way they can understand, then they can fight the good fight to go, hey, this is what it says, but hey, this is where we need to be more efficient or more effective or how we do it differently. Some of that stuff's happening. More of that definitely needs to happen and I think will over time. But again, it's one of those where you affect the nice thing about being on the inside now, because I, for a long, long time, I was on the outside of the transport throwing rocks at it pretty vigorously. Let's face it. <laughs> now being on the inside, I have the ability to affect change by leading from the front and going, Hey, here's how we can be better at it. Here's how we can be more efficient, more effective at it. Here's how we can do it in a way that doesn't cost an arm, a leg and several other appendages. And and that's, it's good, it's a little scary, and we'll see what happens, but it's getting there. It sounds like an incredible amount on your plate, or, or many plates of spinning and keeping things running. Yeah, it is, because it's, you know, obviously there's the CISO role for digital cybersecurity, there's the physical role, I've also got physical security that, that I work with as well. Um, I also have, you know, any the, the new buildings we're putting up at North Carolina Final Assembly, the stuff that we've got in Denver here, the jet that's had in Mojave and all the other stuff that's going on. There's a lot going on. And then you've got to balance that, which is we're pre-revenue. I mean, yes, mm. we have commitments for these things. We've got quite a number of them, which is actually pretty fantastic. And again, huge amount of kudos to the business for that. 
but we don't have money coming in the door insofar as like people are paying us money and we're handing over a jet in exchange for money. So now you're balancing all this with the fact that we are operating almost as a bloody great big startup. And it's, you want to be able to do all these things, but you can only do these things. So you got a box really freaking clever on quite a lot of them. So that's, it's uh, an interesting conundrum, should we say. And I guess thinking about that balance, how do you find your own balance personally? Because, you know, podcast, projects, work, what, what do you do? Is it, is it dog walks and whiskey that keeps you sane or is there more? <laughs> I'm probably one of the worst people on this planet to talk about balance. I'm just going to, let's put that out there first and foremost. Um, I'm really good at talking about it. I'm really good at encouraging others to do it, but I'm absolutely useless at doing it myself. Um, I, I enjoy my work. I enjoy what I do. And that comes with a, that comes with a, a sense of always being connected, you know, but then I do take time. Like after the whole diabetes shit and everything else like this, I've, I've gotten to the point now where I, I, I have to take time and then I'm taking that time on the bike. Milo says he's curled up over here. Milo tends not to want to go for much in ways of walks. Otis definitely does, but I'll take time with them. At night times, I'll split my day up. So my day starts, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine in the morning. My day starts and I'll go till six at night and then I down tools. At six at night, I down tools. It doesn't matter who, what, when, why, but tools are down. And then I take time. I take time to cook. I take time to hang out with these guys. I take time to go for a bike ride. Um, and then I get back at it 10, 10, 11 ish at night until probably one, two o'clock in the morning. But then that's my time. My time to do research, my time to like prep for podcasts, get all the prep work done for LinkedIn posts, um, and a bunch of other things. And it's not perfect. Uh, I, I have, there's stuff that's outstanding. I got a project, I got a report that's outstanding for something that I was meant to have finished a couple of months ago. And I just, I haven't had the focus to deal with it. And same thing with a couple of others. And these are projects that are outside of boom. This is like some personal stuff I do behind the scenes. There was some stuff somebody asked me to do. Uh, to help them out doing some research on a couple of people. I did the research, I gave them the answers, but writing the report up, it's not happening. I mean, it's it'll get to it eventually, but there's not enough hours in a day for what I'm filling it with, which means I need to say no more often, and I'm not the best at doing that either. So I'm getting better. It's like a perfect example. Like normally this kind of a podcast would, be fit, would, would in future fit in on Friday afternoons. I'm getting much better at saying, hey, vendor meetings and podcasts and stuff like that now go on my Friday afternoons. So like from noon onwards is all when I try and if it doesn't fit in a Friday afternoon, guess what? It's next Friday. So I'm getting better at it, but it's definitely I am not the best at it, should we say. I, I think there's probably a lot of our listeners who can really relate to that as well. Particularly where it is a passion as well as a job. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's tough because I mean, it is. I mean, I got into this industry because it was intriguing. It was, it fit who I was as a human. You know, it's, I tried when, when I, when I, so when I first, I, I left school at what, 15, 16. Mm. And from 14, 14, 15 years, I was working night shift in a kitchen. So I would, there was a dairy that was literally a walk from the house and they worked 24 by seven. And so, I worked in that dairy at nighttime doing kitchen work. Uh, I would go in, I would do, I basically have a short shift cook at night. And so I would do that at night and then get up and go to school and stuff like that. I left, when I left school, the first couple of jobs I had were, I mean, I, I worked in a, a research council as a, just a general admin person, filing shit, literally. Mm -hmm and filling envelopes. Um, that didn't last long. I think I managed to last maybe a month there. Um, I worked in the warehouse for, I worked in two different warehouses. One I worked in, I remember walking in and there was this ready to be ladder. I'm like, oh, going to be up the ladder. And I'm like, and I'm out of here. And the next one, it was literally taking like panels and putting them on the thing and taking them off and doing that kind of hmm. shit. And I think I lasted a couple of days on that one. I did data. And, I mean, I tried all. So I worked, I, I lasted four days at McDonald's, four, maybe five days at McDonald's. Oh, okay, Big Mac. I couldn't figure out. I mean, this is somebody who can fucking hack NASA <laughs> on a whim. I couldn't figure out how to put a Big Mac together the right order for like the two buns and the turn this bun and do this and and like learning a magic trick. 
Now switch the button underneath and do this. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't grasp it. And, and so I tried all sorts of different things. Um, I, when I left the, the, the dairy, I worked uh, nights and weekends in another kitchen and we changed the menu every week. And that place was fantastic. That taught me, that taught me skills that I still use today when I cook. But it was, yeah, I mean, I tried all sorts of stuff and I fell into, fell into this industry partly by accident, partly because I got yelled at a few times. <laughs> and so um, I fell into it and I loved it. And I've, I've, let's face it, I've only left it a couple of times. Once I took six months off to go climbing down in Bolivia. And then I took time off again to go climbing up in Alaska. And, and that's been it. I, the rest of my life, I've been in this industry. I think as well, you're very well known for being a regular presence at a lot of industry events, a lot of online talks. Um, what, what's been some of your most memorable times at conferences or talks? I think in more modern times, it's the whiskeys. Because uh, I'm, to your point, I'm kind of known for bringing a whiskey case or two with me. And for me, it's it, I like it for a bunch of different reasons. Uh, and, and, and I have to give credit to a couple of other folks for... There were a lot of us that always used to bring that always used to bring stuff with us every now and again, mm. and, it, and I got and this has gone back way 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 many years ago. Uh, a couple of good people had started to basically do like a whiskey talk at B sides in Las Vegas, and so I got invited to that, and that was really the catalyst for like holy smoke, this is absolutely fantastic. I I I, I love the idea of not just bringing a bottle or two, but bringing a few more. And there were some some amazing people at it, and uh, just some amazing folks. And and I've always I owe them credit for a lot of that side of it. And so we kept doing that year after year. And I would bring more, and I bring more. And then I started bringing the the whiskey bottles to other conferences, like uh, B side, uh, not B sides, like over in Israel, Cyber Week in Israel. Mm. Uh, I've taken the whiskey, and I'll be taking another one out in a couple of weeks' time out there. But it was always one of those where I like it because I can, I get to share. I, I get to share whiskeys, bourbons, tequilas, rums, and everything else. And I have my tea. I keep my tea for those that don't drink as well. And I like it because I get to share. I get to have fun. I get to have some amazing conversations. I get to impart things that are not tech-related. But I also get separation. Um, mm -hmm. I also get a little bit of space because there between me and other people is this table. And I have my stuff on my table. And it's it's like my space. I... I feel and I, I found I can deal with people and I can deal with conferences better if I have that little bit of separation. If, if there's not there, then I can deal with it for a couple of hours. Then I have to literally go off and go hide somewhere and just go curl up in a dark corner for a couple of hours. Just kind of like breathe a little bit more. Go, okay, I'm, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. It's all okay. And then I go back out again. And I, I, um, yeah, I think that's been good. I, those are good. I think just, you know, just some of the, just the camaraderie at the conferences. Um, and it's tough because there are some amazing ones, you know, even if you go to like the big ones, like the RSAs and Black Hats, there's still these little pockets of amazing people that just get together and you get to hang out. But then just the, the crazy ones, like the B-sides, I was up in uh, Lancashire in the UK a couple, about a couple of months ago. And I'm actually, when I'm heading out to Israel in uh, the end of this month, I'm actually stopping off and doing B-Sides leads briefly. I'm going to stick my head in and go say hi and give hugs to people. And I like that. It's so freaking good to go see other people. You know, I was in uh, the Middle East. I was out in uh, Saudi. And it actually was the first time I'd been out to Saudi since being out there in uniform, for crying out loud. Uh, we got deployed from Riyadh out to the sandbox a couple of times. And um, mm. just just that the just the different ways that things get approached the conversations the camaraderie the people the just all of that is absolutely fantastic yeah i get to meet people yeah i've got on linkedin there's so many people that i get to talk with now i get to actually see them as a human being and it's it's pretty fascinating um yeah i love it there's i mean even like out in uh i was out in q8 i remember i got i got asked to come out of q8 and uh dr reem and she's all over like she's she's freaking amazing and yet i've never seen her you know it's one of those amazing people that i've never i, I mean i've seen her she's she's fully veiled so i get to meet her and i can't hug her because that just blows i'm just 
I'll get yelled at <laughs> if I hug her and and but but just so freaking amazing to meet her, yet not meet her if that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, get to meet her, get to hang out with her, get just get to see the vibrance and and stuff that she comes with. I met her a few times now, but I've never bloody seen her, and it's a really interesting just a dynamic as to how the brain works now thinks and everything else. So it's I like that. Some of the traveling can be a pain in the ass. Some of it some of it works and some of it doesn't. It's um we have an amazing community. Um we have an amazing community. There's there's some great stuff about it. I mean there's some frustrations. No two ways about it. There's too much drama. We're like a dysfunctional family with, you know, an estranged <laughs> aunt and a and a couple of cousins that don't fucking talk to each other. But for the most part, this is an amazing community. It leads uh it leads me into some of uh, some of your memorable experiences outside of the conference circuit and, and with the community. Um, and before I ask you about the planes, I was, I was going to ask you about cows and camels, <laughs> and wh whether you could tell us a little bit more about your work in that area. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that was pure by accident. I had so much fun. I was driving. The hell was I going? So there's a I was going to Wyoming. So I'm based out in Colorado. And um, there's a boring way to get to Wyoming, which is to go straight up I-25 and cut across to I-80, I think it is. But there's a more fun way to go to Wyoming, which is from here you go, basically you literally head straight to the hills and go over something called Rapid Ears Pass, go into whatever the hell the next place is. And there's these gorgeous back roads. They're just freaking gorgeous back roads. Now, some of them you can put your foot down and the speed limit is what the speed limit is, but what you end up doing versus what the speed limit is, there's a little bit of a discrepancy, shall we say. And so I'm humming along the road doing the speed that I'm doing. And, and normally I'll have a laptop open next to me and I've got a, it's actually sitting up there. It is an ancient, we're talking ancient Dell. In fact, hang on, I'm getting the damn thing. It's an ancient Dell laptop. And we're talking ancient, okay? It is ancient enough. This this thing and hell, I've got my sister. This thing is ancient enough that it still has a PCMCAA card in it. Gosh, and the color. Back when we had silver laptops. Oh, this is. I mean, it's got the Jinx hackware stuff on it for crying out loud. Wow. So I often actually I keep forgetting I have that on there. So I I still use this laptop and I plug it into antennas and this thing's broken into more things than it's probably ever allowed to say. But I was driving along, and this thing's sitting next to me. It's got an antenna, and this stupid antenna keeps... You know, the thing keeps beeping at me. I'm in the middle, but fuck mm. nowhere. Northern Colorado, Wyoming, okay? There's nothing around. There's no buildings. There's no people. And I'm like, why is this stupid thing? And is it is it the two-wire stuff that the that, uh, first responders and everybody else use? And it wasn't two-wire stuff. Is it SATCOM? No, not SATCOM. Is it, you know, is it monitoring stations? No. Couldn't figure it out. I pulled over and Fuck this. Can't figure this out. So I pulled over and this thing's just beeping. And I'm like, there's nothing around. Whoa, there's cattle. So I'm dressed in my normal pajama bottoms and hoodie. I hop the fence to go make friends with the cows. Cows are looking at me like, is it friendly? Is it not friendly? Can I charge it? Is it going to milk me? Or what the hell is it trying to do? <laughs> I get close-ish to cows and I suddenly realize that, you know, 800, 1,000 pound of bovine is either going to be happy with me or is going to try and stomp me to death. I shouldn't get too close. But I end up realizing they got they got their tags in them, but they're also wearing something on their on their foot. And I couldn't figure out what the hell, I couldn't get close enough. Hop back in the car um, and I'm like, all right, what the, and I managed to phone, thankfully, our signals, tell their phone, start the, there's, they're pedometers. And when, <laughs> What I figured out, and, and a bunch of research on this one, and a bunch of just watching forums, is what they're doing with the cows is a lot of them will wear a pedometer on them. So as the farmers scattered across several thousand acres, they can actually research, is the cow moving? How is it moving? Is it healthy? Where the hell are the stupid things in this acreage? So that if he's got to go turn them into beef burgers, he knows where to go find the stupid things. And a whole bunch of other statistics. Well, this is freaking cool. But what's also cool is it all goes into an access database. And I'm like, yay! <laughs> End up starting looking at these things, realizing that most of the cow automation and also the milking automation stuff is all running off like Windows 95, Windows XP, maybe Windows awesome. 2000. If you're like, oh, yeah. 
access databases up the wazoo. So I get onto good old showdown and I start writing my own scripts and doing my own stuff and finding all these places. And this is, I'm sitting by the side of the road, staring at these damn cows going, you're mine. <laughs> get into a couple of these databases and realize that they're also pulling G the GPS signals updating like every 30 minutes or so. And I'm like, play? Wrote a quick script, wrote a quick script after downloading my version, signing up for my own, you know, cow herding system and everything else. Figured out that I could overwrite the script and drop all of these cows into another friend's, basically a friend's place back in Colorado, back in Nevada, Colorado. So literally by the time I got to where I needed to get to up near, uh, up by, uh, where the hell was I going? I don't remember where I was going. I was going up somewhere up north. By the time I got to where I was going, I'd literally in the entire swath of cows in northern Colorado, most of Wyoming and half were all physically where they were, but digitally they were all, there's about three quarters of a million head of cows now sitting in one square acre of a house in Arvada, Colorado. So yeah, that was fun. And you know, that was interesting and got yelled at for that one, but so much fun to do. I was going to say, what happened when people realized that, like, what, what was the reaction just yeah, but it was I. I basically ended up writing a, a VB script that basically called that, that basically called the access script that basically just every twenty nine minutes or something I don't know what the hell it was just overwrote their their GPS coordinates with the coordinates for Alvada. Luckily, all I do was kill it. It reset itself, and the cows all appeared where they should have been. But it was um, so much fun just doing that. And the camel thing was similar, but. They're using both RFID chips that are embedding in the camels. And what I ended up doing there is I didn't just move them. There was a herd of camels. And this is in Saudi. This is in front of his excellencies, like his prize position. By the way, those fucking camels are expensive. Um, they're like millions of, of US dollars, these stupid things. No way. What I ended up doing is finding somebody who was herding his cows using these pedometers, using a Chinese satellite system. Um ended up getting his database or their database and then i ended up swapping the databases over with the cat with the camels in riyadh so now this eight million dollar prize winning damn camel is sitting somewhere in the steppes of mongolia despite the fact you know physically <laughs> it's in front of this poor cow uh, camel herder but virtually it's somewhere in the steppes of freaking mongolia being chased around the damn hills with a guy on a motorbike fucking awesome so much fun to do <laughs> so you're the uh, you're the first i guess like cyber cattle raider we can add that to the list of accolades what's crazy <laughs> on this one is is there still on the statue in colorado there is still cattle rustling which is like a federal hanging offense or something i think if i remember rightly <laughs> but i'm figuring that's in the physical world i didn't actually touch the cow now in the digital world yeah, different discussion yeah. yeah technically it was the device not the cow camel and <laughs> well, camel and cow rustler yeah yeah when we think of computing, we think of security, we all think of these traditional systems that are in front of us, you know, the system we're talking on now. We think of that. Some people are now starting to think about their phones and their mobile devices, but rarely do, rarely do we get people, especially outside of our industry, to think about anything else. You know, the fact that the toaster's listening in and talking to the to, to Siri and Siri's getting pissed off with the microwave and nobody loves the fridge and everybody hates the <laughs> television. On a network level, nobody has a clue about until shit goes wrong, at which point in time, everybody's like, well, what the hell do we do about it? So it's always interesting to get people to think a little differently that way. Well, I was going to ask you about thinking a bit differently with planes as well. I think mm. it would be really rude of me not to bring that up with you on the podcast. I've got to be a little careful on that one because obviously the rule and position I'm in. But Yeah. So we started messing around with cars, and this was... 2008 2009 because we did a talk at the very the second ever b-sides in uh vegas it was actually the second ever ever one um a couple of us did a talk on taking out cars and then we went out to the strip and demonstrated how to take out cars it was quite fun we started stacking them up on the strip because we get into the bluetooth module shut down the engine do all sorts of other stupid it was fun we actually played Tetris. That, like connected devices on the can bus type oh stuff. yeah totally so much fun Unless you get it wrong and you inject the wrong pit idea, at which point the airbag goes off. Not something I want to repeat again. <laughs> Definitely left one of those like, whoa, moments. Um, we started messing with cars. And then what ended up happening, one of the major airline airline manufacturers has said, oh, we're going to put this new technology that we've got into cars into aviation. And we're like, play. And so started doing a bunch of research, like a 
ton of research. And it was everything from what networks, how do they work, what systems, what architectures, who's doing it, how are they doing it, all the other stuff, all the way through to literally calling up the supply chain companies and going, hey, we're building an ABC and we're doing a DEF and we need the interface architecture for this. What do you have as far as like a, a model and this? And they'd send us the stuff or they'd tell us where their VBOX instances were and we could just go grab copies of them. And it was, we ended up basically building ourselves on the ground an entire set of aviation systems. And it's like, all right, well, what could we do to them? How could we influence them? And at the same time we were doing it, a couple of folks over at IOActive were doing it. And they were focused on going in through the wireless systems and everything else. Our focus mm. was ground control systems as well as uh, through entertainment systems. And so it got to a point where we realized we could do quite a lot of things that we probably shouldn't be able to do. And then went to talk with, when basically went to talk with the aviation industry and say, hey, Here's what we've discovered. How can we help things be more efficient, be more effective and everything else? And unfortunately, we got rebuffed. Thankfully, nowadays, that situation has changed. A huge amount of kudos to Aviation Village, huge amount of kudos to at least one of the major airline manufacturers that's actually decided to embrace the research community. The other one's got some work to do. We've obviously stepped up and we're at the forefront of that conversation as well to go, hey, look, we're building the next gen one. How do we become more efficient and more effective at it? But it was rebuffed and, and I tend not to take a rebuffs very well. So ended up going public with it. And on one hand, things changed. On the other hand, um, it became a pretty tangled mess. Um, so yeah, some good stuff and some challenges and some stuff I'm still paying for. So it is what it is. <laughs> I think... Um... Just, just highlights like there's, there's so much out there with oh. connected systems, yeah. tracking systems. You know, we've we've evolved faster than our considerations of security in those devices. That it's I, kind of nice okay. to shed a light on this. <laughs> Saturday, Saturday, I'm out. I went out for a bike ride. Um, Colorado is having an unusual spell of wet and soggy weather, which is actually nice because everything stays green and we need the water. Saturday, there's a break in the rain. I throw the bike in the back of the car. Um, I go for a bike ride. Uh, get off the bike, finish the bike ride. I'm like, hey, I need to get something for the bike that I have down at the office. So I go into the bike mm. shop. I'm literally walking. I'm in the bike shop, and I walk by where the repair place is. And something I never thought I would ever, and I'm actually going to do a LinkedIn post on it one day. I never thought I would ever hear. I'm walking by, and there's this uh, lady with her bike. And she stood there, and, and the service guys just handed it over. And he basically says, well, madam, uh, your bicycle firmware has been updated. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> come, come again? <laughs> yeah, and that was it. I'm like, uh, bicycle, for, and I suddenly thought, e-bikes. Mm. I mean, the proliferation of e-bikes. I mean, every, and those buggers are expensive. I, I mean, first and foremost, biking, bicycling, just regular bicycling has become like an expensive hobby. I thankfully have used Craigslist. Uh, one of my bikes I've, is is actually from a, a ridiculously good Eddie Mai's got rid of one of his. I've got his Yeti bike, and then the other one I picked up uh, Craigslist one. And so mine were not thankfully the stupid prices, but bikes are expensive. And these e-bikes, I didn't think about it. They're all sitting on firmware because of the batteries, because of the operating system. I'm like, everyone's <laughs> part. I started giggling and I'm like, oh, I know what I'm doing soon. So yeah, back in the back <laughs> of the research is, is a whole bunch of other, let's have some fun with it. We, we messed around with scooters. Um, Justin Monoblano, he and I were at RSA pre-pandemic and um, he was walking around the street and I caught up with him. He's cuddling a scooter, you know, these electric, the, the e-bike scooters. He's cut. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, I'm taking you back to my hotel room. And I'm like, do you need a private moment? He's like, oh no. <laughs> and shit's coming to pieces. And, and uh, just again, GPS tags and all sorts of other stupid shit you can do with these things, de-restricting them. Yeah. So, so scooters, e-bikes, the whole lot. I think that's the next frontier for uh, what can we do to wage digital war on people? Well, well, I'm going to ask you now about digital war and more around. What what ethical challenges do you anticipate we're going to come across in the next few years? Because this this stuff isn't going away, right? It's only the proliferation is getting worse and worse, if you like, of connected devices. What what do you think we as a a population need to think about in terms of ethics here? I think it's tough because I mean, if if you I, I was 
I I do. I'm fortunate. I still do a bunch of stuff with um, the dot mill side of the world and the dot gov side. And I remember standing in a, an amphitheater a couple of years ago and going, "All right, does anybody here not think we're at war?" And nobody put a hand up because uh, there is an argument to say we've been at war for the last 15, 20 plus years mm. with a number of our adversaries. Now, is it a friendly war? For the most part, is it likely to ever become an unfriendly war? There's always that potential. You never know. And I think to your point, there's the conventional warfare now has gotten to a point where, you know, is it really worth it? I can do so much more damage, so much more effectively and efficiently with one freaking laptop than I can with a smart bomb. Now, does a smart bomb have more shock and awe tactics? Absolutely. One, you know, you drop a freaking a daisy cutter or a JDAM or something on a building and, and take the entire building down. Perfect. It actually sends a very clear message. But mm. in this day and age, so does shutting down the hospital and killing a whole bunch of people. And and then and then going, told you so, showed you so. And so I think that's where it gets really, really interesting now because you look at it in a couple of different ways, uh, and there's a few different ways. We we all, we all joke about the keyboard warrior. You know, you've got you've got folks who are actually jumping out of airplanes, getting out of helicopters, kicking off of submarines, who are physically there, likely to be shot at and blown up. And then you have a bunch mm. of folks that are sitting on keyboards, and for the most part, we feel a lot more protected if we are in a defensive situation or we're doing stuff. We feel a lot more protected. Oh, nobody's going to come after us because I've got a keyboard. That has now been shown to be incorrect. Um, Israel showed it fairly about a year or two ago when they figured out where one of their opposition's uh, electronic warfare teams were and basically just dropped a bomb into the building out. That was like, hey, you're on a keyboard, you're still part of warfare. So people's perceptions of what is in and out of scope, I think, has definitely changed on one hand. Secondly, the targeting is where it gets really, really interesting now. Do I just target those folks that are in uniform or do I say to hell with it and take out more of the population? Do I take the population out or do I work to influence the population? So now mm. I look at two ways. Do I, do I make your scooter stop from 60 miles an hour to zero or all of your cars stop from 60 to zero on the highway and cause multiple crashes? Do I take out a hospital? Do I take out your food supply? Do I turn a couple of ships over in the channel so you can't get stuff and go told you so that we could do it or do i still go after military targets because the ease and the ability to go after civilian targets now is exponentially easier i mean it's so freaking easy or do i do uh, do i go after you from a from a human standpoint and we saw it we we you know united states has influenced more elections than everybody else put together but now we're seeing that digital influence be used against us. We had in the last election, the prior election, we'll, we'll see it from now on. We'll see it in more than just elections. We'll see it in more subtle ways. So the use of social media to divide a nation and the use of subtle influences to divide a nation becomes a much more effective and capable solution than dropping a single bomb. So are those capabilities there? Absolutely. Are they being used? Absolutely. And I think that's the question now becomes, how do we know and what do we do about it? Sam, it takes me back to the, uh, to the old, remember kids, electricity will kill you. <laughs> Stickers in <laughs> a campaign. It's like, remember kids, cyber's a thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's it. I mean, I, I remember being sketched jetless in the UK. Mm. Uh, they had, uh, I remember that there were th three the electricity one was one the two that always stuck with me one was the farmyard one because i grew up uh i i mean i grew up in a couple my father was british military as well so we grew up in a bunch of different places but i was a member of school being shown this safety video about like not fucking around on farms and and basically it just showed the kid getting you know burnt to death in a hay bale and drowning in a cesspool i mean you want to talk about you want to talk about long-lasting impressions on you that to this day still has an impression on me and there was the railway one mm. but you're right there needs to be one about these stupid things i mean seriously we hand these things out like freaking candy and yet this I, and, and i've done this before and i'll do it again so here 
apologize for any readers, but it's simple. I keep this on my desk. This is dangerous. This mm. is dangerous over a short distance. This, I'll kill you from halfway around the planet. Mm. And we don't think about it that way. Let me just put it back again. We don't think of it. Yes, I keep it on my desk. Um, and we don't think about it that way. We don't hand this over with a set of warning labels. We don't give this to people and say, hey, before you accept something, ask another question. Before you click on something, put yourself in a physical environment. Before you download something, here are the three things to ask, et cetera, et cetera. We don't do that. We just hand it over and go, hey, welcome to the internet. Stay connected. Good luck and have a nice day. Here's, uh, uh, here's your login. Please use strong yeah, authentication. Yeah. Yeah, P.S. Maybe think about changing your password because it probably sucks anyway. <laughs> By the way, don't worry about it because we've got ten different ways past the stupid thing. Um, uh, and that's that's a that's a challenge, and that's a challenge for the older generation, my generation, the young ones, and then the rugrats that we're handing stuff to. And it's how do we get that message across to people to to ask another question, to think a little bit more to take themselves out of a digital realm and put themselves in the physical realm and go, what would I do if this person walked? And it was always a very good friend of mine said it to me and they said it way better than I could. And it was like, look, if on a digital world, I, I knock on your digital door and tell you my name, I'm, I'm a prince from whatever country and mm. I've got a, I've got a billion dollars and I need to share with you, but I, but I need some money in advance to, to help move it. In the physical world, if somebody walks up to you and go, hey, man, how's it going? Uh, so I, I got a chunk of money in the back of the car and I got a million dollars in the back of the car. Can I borrow 500 to just go make a key cut? No. Why don't you just bust the car open and then spend five grand of that <laughs> money? Take some of your money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's we don't think that way. We've you know, we haven't figured out that physical digital side of the world. And so unless we train and help people to understand that it's going to get rough oh it is getting rough it's going to get rougher that um annoyingly it leads us to my very last question of the podcast which is what what's going to be your moonshot for the industry like what's the what's the kind of giant leap for humankind that that you want to leave as a bit of a legacy here to improve security in the lives of individuals as a whole on my epitaph, it'll be ask another question. Um, mm. and, and I mean, that's that's really, I, I joke about the fact that I'm going to retire to an AS400 in New Zealand. So I am working pretty heavily on, on basically getting rid of the physical body and moving all of this into a digital realm. So I'm working pretty heavily on that one. And if we can do that, there's some interesting openings on that with some really freaking cool shit in the science and tech. But I think on my epitaph, it'll be just ask one more question. Um, and that's Love it. it. I mean, that literally is it, yeah. I mean, this has been an absolutely incredible time with you. And I, I just want to say, like, thank you so much for uh, taking some of the time out of your week to do this with us and be a, a wonderful guest on the podcast. Thank you. Good luck to your point. It's just, these are fun things to do. There, you get some good people on it. So thank you. And thanks to everybody listening as well. Oh, no, appreciate it. Well, thank you, everybody. And thanks for your time today, Chris. Thanks for listening to the Adventures of Alice and Bob podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and share this with colleagues that'll get value from it.